0: I don't know why I'm making sounds. Um, I wanted to get your attention. Um, I forgot to say this during the podcast. Please do me a huge favor. Follow me on Instagram. It's at Zach Shomler. I love Instagram. It's my favorite social media account. And I don't care if you want to see anything I have to say. I just want your help getting to 10,000 because at 10,000 followers, I can put links to my videos on my Instagram story. And my Instagram story is my favorite. that I love sharing on that platform. And so please do me a giant favor. Follow me on Instagram. I just want, I forgot to say that during the show. I wanted to put that at the beginning. Okay, uh, enjoy the show. Goodbye. All right, uh, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shamler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Today is Wednesday, June 26th. And uh, I'm going to be honest, we're, we're in the dead of summer, the end of June. And there's not a lot going on that interests me. There's not a lot that grabs my attention that makes me go, I just have to talk about that. And so um, I just, this is not my favorite episode of the year. This is probably gonna be, uh, I know that's a horrible thing to say, like way to sell it, Zach. I don't don't wanna be a used car salesman. I would rather tell you what honestly is about to happen. I'm gonna talk about a lot of drama and a lot of quotes and a lot of stuff that people have sent to me and are like, Zach, I want you to talk about X, Y, Z. And so like, you know, a Baker Mayfield quote, An Odell Beckham Jr. quote. Uh, We'll revisit Aaron Rodgers a little bit. Uh, I think I screwed up there. We'll talk about that. Um, And I just, you know, this is not my favorite episode. I just want to be honest and upfront about it because if you're like 20 minutes in and you're like, hey, I'm done, I'm good, no problem. You know, I haven't finished my Kirk Cousins film analysis. It's on its way, but it's not ready yet and I'm not going to put out a product that isn't ready. And so, you know, I have a little bit to say, about eight things. And if you're interested, awesome. If not, hey, no problem, walk away. Um, I also want to say this, you know, people... I get a comment occasionally that says, Zach, you shouldn't talk so much about your screw-ups, your revisit topics. That's not how I do things. I want to be very upfront about my mistakes and own them. And again, I've talked about this many times. I think it's something that differentiates me from other people. If I think I did a topic a disservice and I want to revisit it, I will, because that's what I think is the right thing to do. Um, I want to jump into sports uh, because there's... So don't let me forget later. I I recently learned that I'm lactose intolerant. And it's been a, a causing a lot of weird issues. And so um, I just I'm gonna bookmark that. I'm going to get to that later. It's not sports, It's really just about me, but I'll, at the end of the show, I'll talk about that because I do think it's valuable and it's worth it uh, if you're a listener of the show to hear how that's been affecting the show recently. So um, the other day I saw my favorite quote I have seen in a long, long time. It made me um, I, was t- I was talking to my girlfriend about it, and I was like, this is awesome. This is so cool. This guy's mindset is awesome. Uh, Cleveland Browns rookie cornerback, a defensive back, a cornerback, not a quarterback, a cornerback. This guy plays defense. Greedy Williams was talking about how things have been going on so far this year in his rookie season. Hasn't started yet. He said this exact quote word for word. I'm just ready to get this season going and try to work towards being a Hall of Famer because that's one of my long term goals is to be a Hall of Famer. Now, mind you, Greedy Williams has never played a down of football in the NFL. He's a rookie. He was a second-round pick, 46th overall. Now, he is talented. Go watch Ole Miss LSU last year. He did a really good job against this guy who was highly touted and I think slightly overrated, DK Metcalf. Um, And, you know, Greedy Williams was a shut-down corner at LSU. And he will be a day-one starter in Cleveland. Yes, all facts. Um, I think this actually was kind of a steal by the Cleveland Browns. I really like Greedy Williams being drafted. Uh, He's going to start day one. It's awesome. They got him in the second round. It's rare to get a a day one start on the second round. Not rare, but it's it's few and far between, and he's a really good player. Um, But again, you know, he's never played a down of football in the NFL. And so to say, you know, I want to be a Hall of Famer, it's a little bit audacious. It's a little bit weird and crazy. Like, um, it's like a guy saying, you know, I want to be a famous, rich YouTuber, and you've never made a video before in your life. That's not entirely true. Like, you, maybe he had practice in high school because Greedy Williams has played before. But <laughs> Hall of Famer, I think it's very easy for some people to be critical and say, man, how about you get through week one? Like People could laugh at that quote if they want. Um, and there are many moments during this guy's rookie season where this statement, I want to be a Hall of Famer, might seem ridiculous. He's going to miss an assignment. He's going to miss a tackle. He's going to get beat deep but I love the aspiration that greedy Williams has. I, I think this is a great mindset and a great thing to work towards. Um, I'm, I'm a dreamer. You know, I always have been, I do it in my relationship. I do it at work. I do it in football. Um, I've never been a dreamer of school. Cause that's not something I, I just think about at night. I don't care about school very much. Um, but I, I really think it's better to go for the things you actually want in life and fail than to never try it all. I feel really bad for the people, you know, go look at my most recent Instagram post. It's about my dad's wedding. Uh, it's, I feel sad for people that don't have goals and don't have dreams and don't have aspirations. And if Greedy Williams' attitude is guided, and if his work ethic, if that thought in the back of his head, I want to be a Hall of Famer, guides his work ethic, he can't lose. No matter, no matter what happens, no matter what the result is, he can't lose in football. He can't lose in life. I really like this attitude. Because all the little things it takes, you know, diet, eating right, making sure you know, you're watching film and staying prepared, preparing physically in the weight room or, you know, in the recovery room, getting massages or stretching out and making sure your body's ready every practice. If he has the hall of fame in the back of his mind all the time, and then he has some success, he's going to run into another problem where he's going to have to keep working. And that's awesome because I I, I really, the guy who says, man, I just want blank. And they don't go as hard as, don't go, don't aim as high as they could. They settle and they bottom out. Greedy Williams never has an excuse to stop working if that's his goal of being a Hall of Famer. He might not reach it, but he's going to have a better career if that's his aspiration all the time. And if he truly works like a guy who wants to be a Hall of Famer, that's awesome. And the lesson here is, man, go for it. You have to, Why set tiny little goals? Yes, it might be a benchmark. Like clearly starting day one is a goal along the way, but the ultimate goal for him, he sees down the long road is, man, I want to be in the Hall of Fame. And I, and I just love this mindset. I can't encourage people enough to dream. Dream and do the work it takes to achieve that dream. I, I just, I, I love this so much. Um, if you ever get the chance, um, Google, you know, if you're not driving, please don't stop driving. If you're driving, just keep driving. Google this later. Google Zach Schaumler, Colombian. Z-A-C, Shomler Colombian. And the first, resu- uh, the first search result on Google should be a story about me. Uh, and, and in the middle of high school, I, I moved high schools. I changed schools. And my coach at my first high school said, you're too short, you're never going to play in college, and you're not going to play as a varsity quarterback. We want you to be a safety here at this college, at this this high school, I mean. They said, at this high school, we want you to be a safety, you're never going to play in college, you're too small. They didn't believe I could be a starting varsity quarterback my junior year of high school. They said, you're too small. And for the record, now I'm five 5'11", I was smaller then. I was not only shorter, I was skinnier and just a tiny kid. Um, But I wanted to be a starting quarterback. I believe that was possible. So I moved high schools and I started at the new school. At the beginning of summer, I was number six on the depth chart. And by week two of my junior year, I was the starting quarterback at my new high school. It was ridiculous. It was audacious. My family moved from Portland Oregon into a tiny little mobile home in Vancouver, Washington. And we made it work. I slept on the floor for six months because I wanted to be the starting varsity quarterback at Skyview High School. I made it happen. And my, my family helped me chase my dream. So I love, it. I love a guy who's, you know, who chases a dream. I, I love this quote from Grady Williams. Um, and I just, I, I love the mindset. You know, I, I've done a lot. I moved, to, I moved to LA once, worked on a movie. I have no regrets about that situation. Um, right now, you know, next to my desk is a picture of me and my girlfriend. And, you know, I, I have a lot of dreams of her. I, I looked at that picture for motivation. So I just, I love this guy saying, I want to be a hall of famer. That's it's crazy. It's ridiculous. And it's awesome. Um, and I think it would be really cool if he made it happen. He might not. But, and, you know, he but I really hope that I hope Greedy Williams enjoys the process of pursuing that dream and that goal. And who knows? It just might happen. But he, again, you can't lose. You set a goal like that. You can't lose because either you have a great career and you, 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 you put it a lot. Maybe he has a good career, 10 year career. It isn't quite Hall of Fame, but he has a good career and he's remembered for that. And he makes millions of dollars because of it. Or maybe Greedy Williams fails big time. Maybe he's a washout in two years. But if he gives a Hall of Fame effort, if he really truly has a great diet, he's dedicated in the film room, in the weight room, he's always prepared. If he does everything he possibly can and he can live with it, you just can't lose. If you have goals like that and you, you act it out, you do the work it takes, you just can't lose. No matter what the result is, you either look back on it and go, I'm, I'm proud of the effort I gave and I did everything I could or, damn it, dude, I did it. So I, I just, this Greedy Williams quote, I want to be a Hall of Famer, audacious, ridiculous, and my favorite quote so far of the 2019 NFL season. Huh. Okay. Um, last week, I made a video called Aaron Rodgers is Sabotaging Himself. <laughs> and, oh my, um, it might be my worst received video in a, a long, long time. Very uh, interesting. Now, now, Packers fans were mad, and, and understandably so. Um, and, and I, I was like, okay, why are they mad? Let me listen to them. Let me try to listen to their comments. And a lot of them were, you know, some of the comments I got were, hater, clickbait. This is your worst video I've ever seen. Um, and, and one guy challenged my work ethic and I, I didn't like that. You know, I, I was like, Hmm, it made me look inside myself and go, okay. Um, am I really doing the best I can? But let's re let's reexamine. And, you know, my, my fear was that it was confirmation bias. My fear was, I heard, I, you know, here's, here's this is a definition of confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the tendency to interpret new information as confirmation of one's existing beliefs or theories. And I've, and I've had this ongoing belief and theory about Aaron Rodgers that, look, look and let's, not, let's be honest, he didn't get along with his last head coach, Mike McCarthy. And I've been building this narrative for a long time that says, you know, if Aaron Rodgers does not listen to his head coach, his new head coach, Matt LaFleur, it's not going to work out. And so I think I was a, I think I fell prey to confirmation bias a little bit where uh, we heard a story about Aaron Rodgers. I'll read the full quote in a minute. We'll get there. But we, we heard a story about Aaron Rodgers. And I was like, oh, it sounds like exactly what I've been talking about for months. And so I, I was like, okay, guess, yes, it's true. Yes, we're going with it. And so I, I acknowledged my fault, right? I, I assumed more than I should have. And I, uh, I, I, was, I, I was a, took part in confirmation bias a little bit. Um, because I heard this quote and I was like, oh man, here we go. Here we go again. So what's going to happen. So this is what Aaron Rodgers said. I'm going to read the quote word for word. He was talking to a guy named Mike Silver. This is a full quote. It's long. But I, you know, I, I wanted to give it justice and do the topic the right way because I, I, I genuinely felt bad. You know, I thought I misrepresented Aaron Rodgers a little bit in my last episode. And so let, let's dive in and do it the right way. This is what Aaron Rodgers said. He said, it's a conversation in progress. We don't know what they were talking about. But next he kind of, he was was sitting by his locker. He sort of chuckles and he says, I don't think you want to ask me to turn off 11 years. And he means 11 years of reading defenses. He said, we have a number of check with me's and line of scrimmage stuff. It's just other stuff that not many people in this league can do. He continues and says, that's not like a humble brag or anything. It's just a fact. There aren't many people that can do at the line of scrimmage what I've done over the years. I mean, obviously, Tom Tommy, means Tom Brady, can do it, no doubt. Peyton Manning can do it. Drew Brees can do it. Patrick Mahomes will be able to do it. Ben Roethlisberger has called the two-minute drill for years. There are a few of us who have done it, who've just done it. It's kind of second nature. And that's just the icing on the cake for what I can do in this offense. Um, and, you know, I, I, read, I heard the quote and was concerned. Because, I, you know, I, I, everyone is reporting hey, Aaron Rodgers went off on his coach. And that said, word for word, if you don't know the context of that, you go, that's not great. That's really not a great quote. And if you take the quote out of context, it's not perfect. But here's the background behind the quote. Um, It's an article on NFL.com, an article by Mike Silver. And the article was really discussing a small nuance in the new Packers head coach's system. Matt LaFleur is a new Packers head coach. And he was talking about how the way the offense is designed leaves a limited ability for a quarterback to change the play at the line of scrimmage. In the past, with quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota, our two quarterbacks Matt LaFleur has worked with before, they were not guys who had an ability to change the play entirely freely at the line of scrimmage. They they had some power to do that, but it was limited. Aaron Rodgers is not Kirk Cousins. Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. I think he's the top three. I think it's Brady, Breeze, Rodgers. Those are the best three, in my opinion, in the NFL. And so it doesn't really make sense for Aaron Rodgers to have limitations on his ability to change the play at Atlanta scrimmage. Totally. I I even said that in my last video. But Mike Silver's article is honestly very... It's nerdy. And it's really a... It's just going in depth about weird, nerdy nuances about their offense. Um, And rather than reading a concerning piece, when I read the Mike Silver article, one of the main comments I got in my last video was, go read the Mike Silver article. You're missing something here. And so... Mike Silver's article was not a piece, uh, not a piece that c- would concern you. It was not a story of a quarterback and a coach butting heads and fighting. It was really just about how two guys are building a relationship and they're growing and learning how to work together. Fairly mundane. Again, the word I use is nerdy, boring, nuanced. It's actually not that juicy of a de- of a story. It's just like, "Hey, if you love football and you like nerdy football stuff, read this thing. So I'm going to take one on the chin here. You know, I really, I'm going to own this mistake. Um, The stories and articles I read were by people who read Mike Silver's article. I didn't go directly to the source. I read people who re-reported what Mike Silver said and they took the quote and sensationalized it. And I I, I went with it. You know, I I became part of that whole problem. And so honestly, upon reflection, um, Mike Silver, who was the original source of this quote, um, after reading it, I feel significantly... Less concerned about the Packers now than I did a week ago. Last Tuesday, I felt concerned. I don't really feel that concerned about it. I'm actually excited um, because if Aaron Rodgers gets along with Matt Lafleur, his new head coach, then the Packers' offense is going to be special. It's going to be really, really cool. You know, Sean McVay is a creative, really exciting play caller in the NFL. What he does is creates great matchups and takes advantage. He's really he's creative and smart. He makes he's got a good offense. And a creative, smart, well-designed offense was able to take a quarterback like Jared Goff, a guy who we thought might be a bust in the NFL, and make him an incredible quarterback that led his team to a Super Bowl. So a creative offense got Jared Goff from NFL bust to Super Bowl. What could you possibly do with a guy like Aaron Rodgers? That's the power of a creative, well-designed offense. Now imagine one of the top three quarterbacks in the entire NFL, Aaron Rodgers with creative play design, with good matchups, with a well-designed offense, what kind of jump is he going to take? If Jared Goff made a big jump, what kind of jump could a guy like Aaron Rodgers take when he's got good matchups, he's got good play calls, he's in a good situation to succeed? You're talking about Aaron Rodgers dominating. That is the result if it works out with Matt LaFleur. If Matt LaFleur and him really get along, everybody's got to look out because the Packers now have a good defense. They have a, a good head coach. I think I think uh, we they have a guy who's got creative play design which I think leads to winning because they have Aaron Rodgers and a new they're they're, re, they're regrouping with a set of wide receivers they have. Um I think everyone could be in trouble playing the Packers this year. Um and I think Packers fans should feel encouraged. You know, I I led the charge. You know, I didn't lead the charge, but I was a part of the outrage that went, "Hey, uh, Aaron Rodgers, that's not good. Don't do that. And I think really it was totally overblown. Um, And in reality, we have every reason to be excited about the Packers and really have every reason to go, hmm, they could turn some heads and be very scary to play against. Um, Now, one final thought I have um, about Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to echo something I said in my last video about Aaron Rodgers. I don't want Aaron Rodgers talking about his coach. I just don't. It's not smart. It causes unnecessary drama. It might not be his fault. It's not fair necessarily. But the reality is anytime Aaron Rodgers talks about his coach, there's only one way he can answer any question. All Aaron Rodgers can say about his coach at this point is say, I love my coach. Things are going great. Oh, but what about blah, 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 blah? No, no, no. Aaron Rodgers goes, man, I don't know what to tell you. I love my coach. Things are going great. That's the only way he can answer. It's not fair. I agree. I agree. Not fair, but Aaron Rodgers needs to understand the narrative being told about him. Not his fault, but it's, it's because of the past with Mike McCarthy. But Aaron Rodgers cannot give any reason to doubt or to be unsure about his head coach. All he can say about his head coach is, I love him. Things are great. I, I feel bad for helping sensationalize the last quote from Aaron Rodgers about his coach. I, I do. I Legitimately, um, I, I own my part in it. I feel bad. I hope to avoid that in the future. I will do my best and I will work hard to do a good job. Um, In fact, I feel like I got duped a little bit, you know, because there are so many articles saying he trashed his coach. I was like, man, well, okay. But I, I think some people are out there that don't care. There are some people who do not feel bad when they screw up and when they misrepresent people. Some people intentionally take quotes, especially when there's a story like Aaron Rodgers where he's had history with coaches before. Some people intentionally take Aaron Rodgers' quotes and find ways to make them sound worse and frame them to sound terrible and bad. And Aaron Rodgers needs to defend himself against those people. He needs to not give them any ammunition at all. Again, not fair at all. Not, not necessarily something Aaron should have to worry about, but it's also just the reality of the position. You don't want to give the locker room or the fan base any reason to doubt your new head coach. There's a great video about this. It's by my friend, Tom Grossi. It's called The Problem with the NFL Media. And in some ways, it was very motivating and inspiring to me. I recommend you go watch it. Um, So I want to do a better job moving forward, but I repeat something. Aaron Rodgers needs to understand the narrative being told about him. He should not say anything ambiguous or negative about his coach at all. Do not give people any ammunition. The only thing he should say, if he's ever asked about his head coach, all he can say right now is, I love Matt LaFleur. He's doing a great job. Things are awesome all positive. It needs to be all overwhelmingly, annoyingly positive. He's got to let the private stuff, anything they're working through, whether it's mundane, a big deal or not. sounds like this thing was not a big deal. Just say, yeah, we have a kink. We're working through it. Don't talk about it. Don't, Aaron Rod, do do yourself a favor. Don't talk about it. Just say, hey, things are great. Let your private issues be private. Don't talk to reporters. Don't give them anything. Don't give anybody anything to run with and you'll be better off. I I think, I, I genuinely think the mistake Aaron Rodgers made here was saying anything but positive stuff about your coach. You can't. You got to know what's being talked about you. You just can't do it. So again, to summarize, feel good about Aaron Rodgers. I think that honestly, he's, he could work really well with Matt LaFleur. Feel encouraged. But Aaron Rodgers, got to watch what he says. He should not say anything ambiguous or negative about his head coach. <clears throat> okay, um, I'm drinking drink some water. And then I want to I learn some lessons from the past and talk about another quote because oh, there's a quote out there that is just awful, awful. And, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. I'm going to drink some water. Now is a good time to explain something. I found out I'm lactose intolerant. So I – for the last three years since my younger brother died – I have felt like I have been swimming in my throat. Like I couldn't talk very well. And it's pretty weird for a talk show host to feel like he can't talk. Like what the, the heck? Your job is to talk, literally. What do you mean you can't talk? And so I, I did a lot of research and went to some doctors. And it really just came to a head about a month ago when I got really sick and couldn't talk. And I found out that um, something in my DNA was, like, triggered lactose intolerance uh, when, when I went through trauma. When my brother died, it triggered something in my DNA. It had always been there, but it's triggered at certain heightened moments in your life. And that's what caused it. I'm lactose intolerant. I can't drink dairy. And what it does is causes my throat to close over. And so I, the longer I get away from dairy, the better my throat will be. And that's why I have a hard time talking. Literally, it's, it's very funny to me. I have a horrible radio voice. I, I don't have a good, I struggle to get words out. I have a bad lisp. It's not easy for me. It's very discouraging for me. That's why. is lactose. I'm like, oh. Milk, dairy, avoid it. And you'll feel better. And I feel better so far. Um, my voice is getting better slowly. But that's the reason for all this. And that's the reason for like, I just, I always like I, every episode when I'm done recording, I hack up like gobs of stuff. And that's because it's, it's like a dairy allergy and it's a thing. It's just, a, it's a problem. It's a pain in the butt, but I'm working on it. And I'm, I'm really excited that maybe in a year from now, my voice will be totally clear. That would be awesome. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But we're making progress, and I just was excited. I wanted to share that um, because that's been an ongoing insecurity of mine for years is my voice. I'm a talk show host who hates talking out loud. How weird and dumb is that? Um, Okay, I want you to listen to something. Baker Mayfield is doing a – Baker Mayfield last week was doing a radio interview in Norman, Oklahoma. He went to Oklahoma. Norman is where the University of Oklahoma is. He was back visiting his college town doing an interview when this is what happened. Take a listen. Sam Ellinger stood at the floor of the Sugar Bowl last year and proclaimed that the University of Texas is back. So I'll just ask you, is, is, is Texas he finally back He couldn't beat Lake Travis, so I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> his, his opinion on anything winning. Uh, you know, Westlake's a great program, but the two best quarterbacks come out of there are Drew Brees and Nick Foles. Sam can, Sam can stay down there in Texas. I like it. Good stuff. That'll stir the pot. He doesn't like me, and I hope he knows I don't like him either. <laughs> Good stuff. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Crap. Um, look, I don't like that people think I don't like Baker Mayfield. I don't. I, I, in fact, honestly, J- Baker Mayfield, I, I, I love the guy. Like He really inspired me at moments in my life and my football career. Um, but what we just heard was Baker Mayfield, Heisman Trophy winner, a number one pick in the NFL draft, a millionaire NFL quarterback, trash-talking Sam Ellinger, a college quarterback, really punching down And I, uh, it's classless, it's petty, it's stupid, and it doesn't need to happen. Again, I don't like that there's a, people think I genuinely don't like Baker Mayfield. It's not true. I like Baker, but I don't like when he does stuff like this. This is not, calm down. I got to calm down. This is not good. And I get very sad again when I get comments like, you're a Baker hater. It's not true. But I have a critical lens. I see things he does and I go, sometimes the guy's dumb and he says dumb stuff and says stuff I don't agree with at all. Baker Mayfield is dramatically better than Sam Ellinger. There's no comparison. He's an NFL millionaire quarterback compared to a guy at Texas who I don't, look, I don't know a lot about Sam Ellinger's skills, but I I really don't think they translate to the NFL. What I've watched, he's more of a runner, doesn't have a great arm. It just feels like Baker's punching down and being being a jerk. There's a a different word I would use if we were face-to-face in person. And it's like Baker doesn't understand that he's in the NFL. You know, last week I was critical of Baker Mayfield because of the way he talked about his teammate, Duke Johnson. And you know, I, Baker had kind of a college attitude about a professional problem. There was money involved, and Baker gave a quote that I, I agreed with. But I, I said, you can't say that, right? You're in the NFL. There, are, there's money. There's finances. There's families involved. You can't, you can't talk about your teammate that way. There's no compassion. And that's, and this is another example of, you know, this quote: Baker Mayfield trashing a college quarterback. Shouldn't happen. Can't happen. I, 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 Baker, I, I want to love you. I, I think you're a, an amazingly talented quarterback. Your mouth is a wild card. Baker's mouth is a, it's not a problem necessarily yet, but it could become one. It's, he says a lot of stuff. I go, ooh, ooh, you shouldn't say that at all. Like, on one hand, I love the way Baker Mayfield talks about Cleveland. He owns it. It's his city. He's all in. They love him. He loves them. It's a cool, it's fun to observe that relationship. But Baker's not in high school anymore. And what he said about Sam Ellinger is just unacceptable. You can't, what if I went back, you know, I, I'm in college, I play quarterback in college. What if I trashed my former high school's rival quarterback? How, how, I mean, look, I, this show gives me a pretty big platform. I could embarrass, if I, But that's weird. Why would I do that? In fact, you know Columbia River High School. If your quarterback is out there, I'd love to meet him. He's probably a nice kid who just wants to play football. I, I don't. I don't understand Baker punching down at some kid. It's, oh, it's not cool. It, it is just not not cool. And so um, I, I, I heard this quote and was like, oh, Baker, come on. And and I, I've been very open. Like I, I love Baker, but I, there are times where he says stuff. I go, I don't. I don't endorse that. I don't like that. I don't think that's good. I don't think that's smart. Um, I did talk last week about Sam Darnold versus Baker Mayfield. I said, you know, Sam Darnold has no, has had no quotes so far this year. And th- the final point I made in that video was, I'm curious to see what happens when Baker Mayfield goes through drama on the Browns. And, you know, I, I think I made a miscalculation there, right? Baker Mayfield has been through drama before. His coach was fired. And he pulled through okay, right? Now, he also did trash his former head coach. Um, and I, so I, I don't know that's a great example. I'm curious to see... If at some point, you know, things fall apart for the Browns, I still want to see what happens. I, I, I'm still, I'm curious how Baker handles it. Um, and I, I think he's the right guy. I think he's a leader. I think people follow him. But there are moments of judgment and moments of things he says where I go, ooh, that's, you're an NFL millionaire quarterback. You can't trash at college. It's just not cool. It's not acceptable. It's classless. It's not, I just, Man. That's something Tom Brady would never do. Tom Brady would never trash. Tom Brady went to Michigan. He would never trash Ohio State's quarterback. Because that's dumb. It's over. You're in the NFL. I'm rambling now, but I I, I really, oof, I don't like what Baker said at all. I'm so excited to watch the Browns. I think the Browns are, man, the Browns and the Packers are the two teams this year. I am so excited to watch. I think they're both going to be good, but the unknown makes it fun. There's intriguing moments where I go, I, I think the Browns are going to dominate, but I'm, I'm not certain. And that, that's exciting for me. And and I'm so happy for Cleveland. Yeah, I really am. You know, Cleveland was a joke for years and years and years. Um, and it seems like they're turning things around. And now I get to talk about I mean, I feel like I talk about the Browns every episode all the time. And I saw an article the other day that said the Browns are, you know, the question was, the article said, Are the Browns spending too much money? Hell no! The Browns are interesting. The Browns are exciting. A large part of that's because of Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's great. I I, I love talking about him. I think he's fascinating. I think he's interesting. And part of that is because of the things he says. But he says far too many things I'm uncomfortable with for me to go, oh, that's all awesome. I I don't feel great about everything he says. And I'm just curious if at some point Baker's going to say something that gets him into big trouble and causes problems for his team. So far... He's made a lot of news, said a lot of stuff. It's it's not been a huge issue yet, but at some point, could Baker Mayfield's mouth get him in trouble? That's that's what I'm sitting here waiting to see. I don't know. I hope not. I generally hope not. I think I you know, Cleveland deserves a win, and you know they've been awful for the majority of my life. I want the Browns to be good. I'm not a Browns fan at all. I just man, there it's a good story. They turn things around, and it seems like they are. But man, Baker Mayfield's mouth is a wild card. Will he say something at some point that makes us go, oh, crap, and just brings to, you know, it makes things come unglued. Is he going to say something that makes Odell Beckham Jr. angry? Is he going to say something that makes his coach look bad and gets him fired? Who knows? We don't know because it seems like anything is possible at this point because I I never thought it was possible. For a millionaire NFL quarterback, a guy who, number one overall pick, won the Heisman is dominating in life. To punch down and trash a rival college's quarterback, that's just weird and, and, and unprofessional to me. And so I, I don't like it at all. And my, my biggest concern right now with the Browns, honestly, of all the, like they got, I, I, think, I think Odell Beckham Jr., I'll talk about in a minute, is in a great spot. Their head coach is fine. They have great talent. I like their defense. My biggest concern with the Browns right now is Baker Mayfield going to cause a problem. Is Baker Mayfield gonna say something that gets them in trouble? That's that's what I'm waiting to see and what I'm waiting to find out. Okay, um, man, I <laughs> it's funny how much I talk about the Browns now. Like I, I I never would have thought that I would care so much about what's going on with the Cleveland Browns. It's so cool to me. It's like you know, people think some people think I'm legitimately a Browns channel. Some people think I'm a Browns fan. They're like, man. This guy must be a giant Browns fan. No, I'm not. (laughs) I just, I think nationally, they're one of the most interesting stories in sports right now. And and I'm so excited to watch what happens. I want to talk about Odell Beckham Jr. This was a topic that was widely requested. So many people on Instagram sent me messages about this quote. And I'm, by the way, I don't use social media. I only use Instagram. I, I occasionally retweet stuff on Twitter. I never touch Facebook. I use Instagram exclusively. If you ever want to get in touch with me on social media, talk to me on Instagram. That's what I use. And someone sent me this article. And really, I got I got so many t- responses like this. Odell Beckham Jr. is a wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns. Um, and he used to be a member of the New York Giants. But then he was traded away. And in an interview with Complex News, this is the thing everybody sent me a bunch of. The the interview with Complex News, people kept sending over and over and over again. Odell Beckham Jr. said this. This is the quote he gave. He said, I just felt with the Giants I was stuck at a place that wasn't working for me anymore. He continues. He says, Odell Beckham Jr. says, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to reach my full potential there in New York. Mentally. Physically, spiritually, everything I felt capable of doing, I just couldn't see it happening there. So I think allowing me to be in a different environment where I can be myself and give it a different approach, I just feel like my football will benefit. I'm just excited to be able to play football again and not have to deal with all the other stuff and politics that came with my previous role. So many, so many, I couldn't believe how many messages people got. I, I, I was like, this is like hundreds of People wanted me to talk about this thing. It's like, okay, I'll do it. So first of all, Odell Beckham Jr. is not a quarterback. And I'm already a little more comfortable with him giving quotes and stuff than I am about Aaron Rodgers or Baker Mayfield. And this quote from OBJ really spoke to me. When I read this quote, I went, oh, man. Um, I was in a bar last weekend in Chelan, Washington on the lake. Uh, by the way, drinking water. Don't I don't really drink much. Um, I was sitting with my girlfriend and my buddy Kevin, and we were talking about um, my past college, actually. And they encouraged me to talk about my process of transferring schools because they, they they encouraged me that part of my story there is relevant because I was in a college that was not good for me. It was a bad fit, and it was it was hurting me academically and just not hurting. My, it was hurting my journey. I didn't like the communications program I was in at my old college. I didn't feel supported. In fact, I wasn't supported and I didn't feel comfortable being myself. I didn't get along with the people in charge and those people were not big believers in YouTube. The people running my communications program at my last school were not big believers in YouTube. I once heard someone tell me, you can't make money on YouTube. A lot of people would beg to differ with you. I think they were out of touch. And I was not a big believer of their programs. It was a bad fit and it hurt my heart. I acted immature because my heart was hurt. I was like, man... Screw this place. It sucks. But I left my old college. I'm at a new college now. And it's a great fit for me. They they like that I'm quirky. They accept me for who I am. It's a great fit. They They like YouTube. They believe in YouTube. They have better programs. I'm actually learning things. The point is, I left a bad situation, a bad fit, and went somewhere else that was a good fit. And I think that's exactly what's happening for Odell Beckham Jr. with the Cleveland Browns. The Giants never seemed comfortable with who he was as a person. They never seemed comfortable with him being himself. His antics, his personality, the quotes he gave. And I know exactly how that feels. I know exactly how it feels to have someone not like you for the way you act and who you are. I'm a weird, quirky dude. I'm very loud. I'm annoying, probably. I get it, man. I I, I know how Odell Beckham Jr. felt in New York. And it is hard to be successful when you can't be yourself. When you're watching everything you say and you feel like you're being micromanaged all the time. Now, on the other hand, the Cleveland Browns have welcomed Odell Beckham Jr. for who he is. People in the Browns' locker room seem to understand him. He's got Baker Mayfield as his quarterback, who's the most outspoken quarterback I've ever seen in my entire life. I might not like everything Baker says, but having him there for Odell Beckham Jr., that's a great, I couldn't imagine a better quarterback off the field. Then on the field is even better because he has a quarterback, Baker Mayfield, who has a gigantic arm. And also, you know. But while we're talking about locker room, Odell Beckham Jr. is with his former college teammate, Jarvis Landry. I think they were roommates. Don't quote me on that. I don't know. But the point is, Jarvis Landry and OBJ are very close. They're now on the same team. But Eli Manning, you know, I I think it's totally understandable for Eli Manning, for, for Odell to feel like Eli was holding him back in New York. Eli's arm strength is not what it once was. Baker, on the other hand, cannon gigantic arm he loves to push the ball downfield I think part of you know we're hearing reports that Daniel Jones is shocking everybody at the New York Giants camp I think a large part of that is because oh in contrast to Eli Manning I'm sure Daniel Jones arm looks really strong and like he can throw the ball a million miles an hour really far because Eli's not where he once was he's not where he maybe needs to be I I really genuinely believe The New York Giants were a bad fit for OBJ. They didn't like him. They didn't believe in him. They didn't let him be himself. And they didn't have as good a fit for him to succeed. The program, the quarterback, was not as good for his skill set. Cleveland, on the other hand, is a perfect fit for OBJ. Got a quarterback with a gigantic arm that wants to throw the ball deep to him a lot. He's got a locker room of people that understand him and don't hate his quotes and let him be his quirky self. Similar to the way I found a new home at my new college and, and felt cared for. My heart was taken care of. I think that's what OBJ has found in Cleveland. I think he's found a better place, a better home where he's supported. And I think OBJ in Cleveland is in a far better position to succeed than he was before in New York. <clears throat> okay, um, you know what? i'm gonna take a short break I'm take a short break go to the bathroom uh my name is zach schaumler i'll be right back when i return we'll talk about the nba mvp we're gonna talk about lincoln riley uh we're gonna talk about trent dilfer and we're gonna talk a little bit about ben simmons four topics left my name is zach schaumler i will be right back all right we are back um i want to now talk about the nba mvp So Giannis, I'm not even going to try to say his last name. He's the star of the Milwaukee Bucks. He's also known as the Greek freak. Giannis just won the NBA MVP. And there's a really interesting narrative here, if you ask me. It's actually, you know, it came down to two people. It came down to either James Harden of the Houston Rockets or Giannis from the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'm going to do something I do not do very often. I think stats are boring. I'm not into stats very much but I want to compare the stats of Giannis and James Harden because I think it's very interesting if you look at what happened. James Harden had better stats in almost every category and came in second by a lot. Giannis won by a lot, even though his stats in most categories were not as good. James Harden had more points per game. James Harden had 36.1 points per game. Giannis had 27.7. James Harden had a better three-point percentage, 36.1 versus, sorry, 36.8 versus 25.6. He had more total points by a lot. James Harden had 2,818 points where Giannis only had 1,914 or 994. So Giannis had almost a 1,000 fewer points than James Harden. James Harden had more assists, 586. Giannis only had 424. James Harden had an 87.9% free throw percentage, which is far better than Giannis who had a 72.9% free throw percentage. There were only really two categories I found that stood out to me where Giannis had a had better stats. He had a better overall field goal percentage because Giannis scores inside all the time around the rim that raises his field goal percentage. Giannis had a point, 57.8% field goal percentage. James Harden had a 44.2% field goal percentage. Giannis also had far more rebounds. Giannis had 898 rebounds. James Harden only had 518. Here's a stat that blew my mind. Um, James Harden had way more steals than Giannis. James Harden had 158 steals. Giannis only had 92. And that's a guy, James Harden, who's known for not being good at defense and giving terrible effort on defense, had more steals. I was just so surprised by that. I just couldn't believe it. He also played far more minutes. You know, 2,867 minutes compared to 2,358. 2,300, just James Harden played more minutes, played more minutes per game, scored way more. For the most part, James Harden had all-around better stats than Giannis. And it's interesting, you know, you can argue that James Harden should have won because he had better stats, and, and, you know, I think it's a, a fair argument. But what's even more interesting is that last year, James Harden won the NBA MVP. And this year, his stats are better than they were last year. So James Harden won MVP last year. Had a better year this year and didn't win this year. He had more total points this year than last year. Last year, he had 2,191. This year, at 2,818. He had a better three-point percentage, slightly higher, 36.8 versus 36.7. He had more points per game, 36.1 versus 30. He had more steals, 188 versus 126. A higher field free throw percentage, 87.9 up from 85.8. And he played more minutes per game. What's interesting to me is James Harden had better stats than last year when last year he won the MVP and he didn't win it this year. I think this can all be easily explained. In fact, Giannis won. I have no problem with Giannis winning the MVP. I I actually agree with it. I think it's great. It's just, just interesting. It's just curious. You know, guy had better numbers than the guy who won MVP and had better numbers than last year when he won MVP, still didn't win. Giannis had 78 per first place votes. James Harden had 23. Nobody else got one, which means that Giannis won by a landslide. And my whole takeaway from this is not outrage. I don't care. I think I think I'm very happy. Giannis won. I liked his speech. I thought it was great. My takeaway is this: it is much much harder to win your second MVP. Winning your first MVP is a lot easier than winning your second. A large part of winning the NBA MVP is story. We all can acknowledge it. It's honest. It's true. The more MVPs you win, the harder it is to win again. Ask LeBron James. LeBron James has been the best player. I don't know if he still is, but there was a stretch where for like 10 years, best player in the world, never won- didn't win another MVP. Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double three years ago, won an MVP. He did it a second time the next year. Nobody cared. They gave the MVP to James Harden instead. James Harden dominated statistically last year. Had even better stats this year than he did last year, and nobody cared. Everybody moved on to Giannis. And I don't have a problem with that at all. But I'm pointing out that it's much harder to win your second MVP. There has to be a stick. There has to be a story. There has to be something behind it. The, you know for Russell Westbrook this thing was triple doubles for James Harden the stat, the thing was stats you're dominating but those storylines get old and we throw them away move move on to something new i'm pointing out that clearly part of why people vote for the nba mvp is to get a new guy involved to promote a new guy to make to hype up a new guy it's part of the thing it's part of the, there's not a consistent criteria for nba mvp it's whatever the heck story feels best at the moment and today the best story was Giannis. that felt great i loved watching his speech but there's no consistency here there's no logic there's no reason other than oh Giannis is a better story than james harden because james harden won last year and once you win an nba mvp the way you're judged goes dramatically higher before you can win another it gets much harder to win your second MVP than your first. Because the storyline you used last time doesn't work a second time. You had the best stats in the NBA? Oh, well, that's what we said last time. This time you got to have something new. Oh, you don't? Then whatever. Now, here's what I loved about Giannis winning the NBA MVP. I've pointed out that I think it's weird and interesting, but I'm okay with it. But I, I-, I loved his speech. Giannis's speech was raw, it was authentic. The dude didn't use any notes. It was messy, but I liked it. The guy's crying on stage. I love that he thanked his team. He thanked their effort. He thanked his coaches. And what got me about Giannis' speech was when he talked about his dad dying, talked about how his dad motivates him, and his dad helped him get there. You know, I, I've been through loss. Loss is one of my favorite, uh, I guess it's my, one of my favorite topics. I mean, it's, it's hard. You know, it's a, it's a really meaningful thing when you lose someone you love two years ago, Giannis' dad died and he talked about how it helped him. This is the quote that I, I want to give from Giannis' speech. He said, even when my body's sore, even when I don't feel like playing, I always show up and do the right thing. And he talks about how thinking about his dad and his family motivates him. And that is so cool. My, my dad and I are pretty close. Um, and and I, I just think that's it's beautiful. You know, and I, I've been searching for motivation for a long time. Like, you know, I think for a long time I, it was anger, and then it's then it became a feeling of not being good enough. I've, I've talked about it on my show many times, and and I'm trying to transition into you know thinking of my family and the people I love and working hard for them to to give them the dreams that I want for them and you know give them what I can. Um, and that's a a really hard thing to get motivated by, but it's a beautiful motivation if you can find it. And the fact that Giannis talked about his family, his siblings, his mom, his dad. And how they inspired him and make him work hard. That that was my favorite part of Giannis winning the NBA MVP was his motivation, where it comes from. Um, I, I think that's that's a cool example. I, I loved that. His speech is beautiful. And I I had no problem with him winning. You know, again, that's how I've accepted that's how the NBA works. There's not logic. You can't use the same storyline as last time. You know, James, you know, Russell Westbrook will never win another MVP because he got averaged a triple-double. If he does it the rest of his career, it never will matter anymore because we already used that one. James Harden can dominate statistically. He'll probably never win another one because he already won an MVP for dominating statistically. Giannis won this year because there's no one else and he was awesome. He elevated his play, helped his team, brought his team to a great place and played awesome. I I, I had no problem with Giannis winning. I loved his speech and I, I've accepted that that's how the NBA works. The NBA loves to uplift new people And it's much harder to win your second NBA MVP than your first. Okay, um, let's stick with the NBA for a minute. Giannis the Greek Freak just won the NBA MVP. And something stuck out to me when his team was knocked out of the NBA playoffs. He was knocked out by the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals. (sighs) Giannis kept saying that he wants to become a better basketball player. And, and by the way, the guy who just won MVP kept saying, I want to become a better basketball player. That's interesting to me. There still are clearly holes in his game he wants to improve. I love the self-awareness. I, I think that's beautiful, and I love that. And I want to contrast that attitude of Giannis with the attitude of Ben Simmons, the 76ers star. Ben Simmons has been in the NBA for three years. He's played in two of of those three years. In the first year he was out with an injury, didn't play at all his his technically first and uh, questionably rookie year. Now in two full seasons, Ben Simmons has a 0.00% three-point shooting percentage. In his two seasons playing, he has 17 three-point attempts. Seventeen in two years. And who knows how many of those are just him chucking up the ball before halftime or at the end of a quarter, right? It he's not at all, at all, a three-point shooter. Ben Simmons cannot shoot three pointers. He's never made an NBA three-pointer. And and I use and I use three pointers to illustrate my point, but my point is. Ben Simmons can't shoot, period. He doesn't have a jump shot. That's not how he plays. He scores inside at the rim. He's great at passing and transition. He cannot shoot. It is not a part of his game. Mid-range, three-point, doesn't matter. He cannot shoot. Now, I I get it, right? He's young. He's been in the league three years, only played two of those years. He's a young kid. But there's a narrative I cannot wait to watch, and the narrative is, will Ben Simmons do the work this offseason to develop a jump shot. He doesn't need to. He does not need to. He's six foot ten. he's a point guard. He's scoring great at the rim. He's, he's a superstar already, in my opinion. But he can make his game dramatically better. Ben Simmons can make his game dramatically better if he can bring a jump shot into the equation. If he had a, a threatening jump shot, it would change the way defenders played him. They play, they play way backed off of him already. And, and still somehow, even with them backed off, he blows right by them and can dunk on them. It's, it's really impressive. But if teams had to play Ben Simmons a little bit tighter and worry about him taking a jump shot, it would help his team. It would improve spacing for the 76ers. And it could probably extend his career by a couple of years. If Ben Simmons could shoot a jump shot, he might get four more years out of it when his knees are, are are dying and buckling and he can't run as well and can't jump as high. If he can shoot, he'll extend his career a little bit longer. Will he do the work? Will Ben Simmons do the work it takes to have a jump shot? That's, that's the question I want to know. Giannis plans to. Giannis won an NBA MVP, still not satisfied, still wants to do better. There's a quote out there where you know, you know, Giannis was talking about, I, I want to improve my jump shot specifically. I don't know that Ben Simmons wants to improve his jump shot. To this point, we haven't seen him show any desire to do that. He hasn't developed a jump shot. We're gonna find out. Does Ben Simmons want to do the work? You know, I've talked about this before, but there's something I really admire about Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin is a, a an NBA veteran at this point. Um, he's not a deadly shooter by any means, but in his eighth season in the NFL, Blake Griffin became a dramatically better shooter. Early in his career, in fact, when I think of Blake Griffin, what I remember is him dunking on IKEA, right? Blake Griffin is this incredible inside scorer, a guy who just dominates at the rim. But in his fifth, sixth, and seventh year in the NBA, his three-point percentage skyrocketed from at one point as low as 12% all the way up high to 40%. Now, last year in the 2017-2018 season, not this, the year that just happened two years ago, I guess, Blake averaged... Blake raised his average three-pointers per game from one to almost six. He did the work. Blake Griffin developed that side of his game and developed a three-point shot and developed a jump shot, period. Not a great shooter, but he, he made it somewhat of a threat. That was a new thing for Blake Griffin, and I've always really respected that he developed that side of his game. I've really admired that about Blake Griffin to say, you know what, I want to do a little better in this area, and he did the work, put in the time when he didn't need to. He's a guy who could score inside. And he's going to get more years out of his career, and he's going to get teams playing him differently on defense because Blake Griffin can now shoot. So the question I have, the question I'm excited to see, will the 76 er star Ben Simmons follow that and do the work it takes for him to develop a jump shot? Don't know. We're going to find out next year in the NBA. Uh, I I haven't seen a desire from him to do that. I haven't seen a quote from him. I haven't seen anything from him that says, I've never seen him say, I'm working on my jump shot. I want to work on my jump shot. There's no videos on Instagram of him doing that. I don't know. I know that he loves to play Fortnite. (laughs) He streams himself playing Fortnite a lot. Does Ben Simmons, is he willing to do the work to develop a jump shot and make his game that much better? Giannis is. Blake Griffin was. Is Ben Simmons? I don't know. We will find out. Okay, um, if, now it's a big if. If I was a top high school quarterback in the nation, I would want to play football at Oklahoma. That's where I would want to go. If I, if I knew I'm one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, I would want to play for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. I look at what Oklahoma has done recently with quarterbacks, and it's really special. It's very, very cool. Two years in a row, Baker Mayfield two years ago, Won the Heisman Trophy, then won the was the number one pick in the NFL draft. Then the next year, Kyler Murray won the Heisman, number one pick in the NFL draft. Unbelievable. And then I watched Baker's rookie year. He was really, really good. And I watched Kyler Murray. I've heard, read stories about him in training camp. And apparently people are, he's turning people's heads. Everyone think not only is Kyler Murray talented, he's got really good habits. He's prepared to be an NFL quarterback. That's really cool. Oh, and by the way, I went and watched the Oklahoma spring game. I watched Jalen Hurts, their transfer quarterback, who just came in from Alabama. He looked better. He looked like a different quarterback than I'd seen before. More capable of throwing the ball. More confident. I was like, wow, clearly something Lincoln Riley's doing in Norman, Oklahoma, is really, really good. He's a really, really good quarterback coach. And what's interesting, you know, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray have very different personalities, very different temperaments. And Lincoln Riley worked with both of them. Coached both very successfully, gave them good habits and good traits. And clearly to me, it's more than just Oklahoma's system, right? Lincoln Riley is not just a guy with a good system coaching quarterbacks. He's giving them good habits. He's teaching them how to be NFL quarterbacks. It's not some formula. Lincoln Riley makes quarterbacks better quarterbacks. When I did a a Kyler Murray film analysis, I was really impressed because I thought he was the most NFL-ready quarterback in the draft, and he played in a a, quote, in a a, quote, sorry, excuse me, a college-style spread offense, and still had great habits and could get all the way to his fourth and fifth read. Lincoln Riley is preparing people and preparing quarterbacks for the NFL better than I think anybody else in college football is right now. And I think many people agree with that. That's why Jalen Hurts left Alabama and chose Oklahoma. Part of why, right? He had a chance to play and he had a chance to play for a brilliant coach, Lincoln Riley. This is why Oklahoma landed the number one 2019 quarterback in the nation, Spencer Rattler. And it's why we just got news the other day that they got a commitment from the number, from a five-star 2021 quarterback, Brock Vandegrift. A lot of people seem to agree. Oh, hey. You want to learn how to be an NFL quarterback, go play for Lincoln Riley. He'll set you straight. And his contract reflects that. Lincoln Riley, we got details of his contract last week. It's a five-year deal, $32 million. It's well-deserved. Lincoln Riley wins a ton of games. And it, when, when it comes to coaching college quarterbacks and preparing them for the NFL, I genuinely believe there's nobody better. If you want to be an NFL quarterback, go play for Lincoln Riley it's more than a formula it's more than his offense it's not some system Baker and Kyler's success shows it's not just the offense they run that makes him successful it's clearly the habits he instills in them the way he teaches them to play quarterback a quarterback who's successful in Lincoln Riley's offense and works with Lincoln Riley is probably going to succeed in the NFL because of again more than a formula Lincoln Riley makes them better quarterbacks. He prepares them for the NFL. Lincoln Riley does it better than anybody else in college football. Okay, from one quarterback coach to another, I want to shift gears to Trent Dilfer. (laughs) Um, uh, How do I start this? In some ways, Trent Dilfer has a very impressive resume. Got it in front of me. 13 years in the NFL. The sixth overall pick in the 1994 NFL Draft. Uh, In his one season in Baltimore, he won a Super Bowl. And and upon reflection, you know, those are good good things, but upon reflection, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, I, I mean this humbly with the utmost respect. I don't think that Trent Dilfer fully lived up to the hype of being the sixth overall pick. Being a top 10 pick. I don't think he ever, like... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers drafted him, used him for six years, and they got rid of him. They let him walk away. It's kind of, nah eh, You didn't really, you didn't kill it. Not the way you wanted to. And I, and I say this not to trash Trent Dilfer, um, a guy I, I respect and admire a lot. Uh, my guess is that there was a lot of pain there. Trent Dilfer's story is painful. Won a Super Bowl, that's awesome, but he never was the face of a franchise like everyone assumed he would be. In the 1994 NFL draft. I'm sure he has pain about his NFL career. Um, and, I, and I learned recently that his son died years ago, 16 years ago now. Um, his son was five years old, I think, maybe. Uh, the, the article I read said five. Trendelfer's son died. Never knew that. I had no idea. My, my brother died once. Loss is terrible. All loss is terrible. Um, it, it's just not good. It's not cool at all. And Trendelfer is now doing something I really. Really admire and and and, and, a, and a respect. Trent Dilfer is now coaching high school football, and there is so much behind it that I'm excited to share. This is why the stories we're talking about. To me, um, Les Carpenter wrote an article for the Washington Post all about Trent Dilfer now coaching high school football. And by the way, you know some background of Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer is um, he's not only a high school football coach of a team. He does a a thing called the Elite Eleven. The Elite Eleven is a quarterback camp slash competition during the summer. And that competition is actually how I met Trent Dilfer as a kid. Um, I trained with them a couple times at camps. I was not at all one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. Um, I trained with some of the best. I trained with you know Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. I was around guys like that, uh, Blake Barnett. Um, but Trent was really kind to me. Very, very, it did not have any reason to be, but he was. He treated me like I mattered, even though I wasn't Ross Bowers, who was committed to Cal, even though I wasn't Ricky Town, committed to Arkansas or USC at the time. And he didn't need to. You know, again, wasn't the biggest. Trent Dilfer still treated me like I mattered. So gave me time and coached me up. And I was always impressed with that. Um, and here's what stood out to me about this article. I don't mean to make this about me at all. Um, I did, but not my goal. Um, by most accounts, Trent Dilfer's done really cool stuff in his life. Trent Dilfer, you know, again, won a Super Bowl as a quarterback. Has coached some of the best quarterbacks in the nation. Worked with Sam Darnold. Jameis Winston, all these guys, who Andrew Luck, did big stuff. He worked with them when they were in high school. Played 13 years in the NFL, and then he worked for ESPN as an analyst. Trent Dilfer, the list of stuff is really cool. Looks great on paper. But the article I read about Trent Dilfer on the Washington Post talked about how once his job at ESPN ended, Trent Dilfer was fired by ESPN in the, the layoff process. Remember, they laid off a bunch of people. He was one of the people that got laid off. And he said that when he got fired by ESPN, he felt like, you know, he was, he was hanging out for a while. And a, a good life, money, he's getting paid not to work, he's got a house on a lake. But he felt like he wasn't doing anything meaningful with his life. You know, again, when ESPN fired him in mass layoffs, they had to keep paying him. He's under contract, he's being paid not to work. He was just hanging out. And here's a quote from Trent Dilfer I want to read that I just very, very much love. Trendover said this, he said, there was no nobility in my television life. There was nothing purposeful in it. It was all ambition and financially driven and that's okay, but that's not who I was. That's not what I wanted to become. I didn't want to become a 47 year old man whose career didn't have an impact. Man, the depth in that thing. And, and, and I have met Trent. He's honest about his struggles. He's very honest about his, he, he makes fun of himself about his failures in the NFL. Well, now he's a head football coach at Lipsum Academy in Nashville. It's L-I-P-S-C-O-M. You pronounce that however you want. I have no idea. Very small school. I mean, this is a school with, in 2016, they had 1,262 kids, but that's not just a high school that's spread out between as early as before kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. So, do the math, you know, what's a third of that? His high school could, his, his high school population could be as small as 400 kids, 300 maybe. And it's weird to me for Trent Dover to choose a tiny Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. Like, what the heck? But hey, that's where Trent Dover's heart called him. It's where he felt he could be successful, clearly. And he's, if you follow him on social media, he's passionate about the school. He like, loves it. He loves coaching, loves being around the kids. And I read this article, I was like, oh, there's reasons behind this, and I'm rooting for him because the reasons behind this are he felt like his past failures, you know, he really struggled with them. He struggled with losing his son. He struggled with not being good enough in the NFL. And he wanted to do something that mattered. He wanted to work with kids. He wanted to help people. And, and I just, I love that. It seems like this is a guy who's fueled by pain and, and fueled by a desire to do something good in the world. And and I, I just, man... Um, I admire that. It seems like he wants to make an impact. It, you know, I don't. I don't. This the, he doesn't use this language in the in the article. Something I say to myself sometimes is, "Will you feel good about what you're doing 20 years from now?" That's why I moved from my old college to my new college. That's why I'm dating the girl I'm dating. I was like, man, I, I know that this is what I will feel best about 20 years from now. I won't have regrets. And and I hope that this left turn in life for Trent Dilfer, um. Is something he finds fulfilling because it seems like he's doing that. He's doing something that he believes in, that he can find meaning in and find uh, meaningful and fulfilling. And I, and I just, you know, I, I, I just, I applaud that. You know, Trent Dilfer, if you're watching, you're not. But if you are, I have a lot of respect and admiration. I'd love to have you on the show. Big fan of you. Uh, you were very nice to me in high school. And uh, I, I just really admire and respect what Trent Dilfer is doing. And taking a step away from... Um, what everyone else is doing it's really easy to be motivated by things you want yourself and it's really cool to see a guy who is motivated by more than making money wanting to make an impact fueled by the pain of the past his son dying fired by espn not good enough the nfl i I just um a lot of respect i just just really thought that was a cool story worth sharing and uh Dilfer, i'm rooting for you guys um that is all i have uh now we have the one final topic we do every single episode and that is, if you are struggling, please go get help. Go get help. If you're having a hard time, um, if your your life's not good, if you're in a dark place. I I've been there. Um, I've talked about this before. You know my my brother died three years ago, um, and I used to drive to my brother's house every single week. Once a week, we would play Halo. We were playing through Halo three when he died, and um, he took his life. And so I I have always felt like you know, one, I, I wish my brother had talked to someone that, and told someone he was struggling, right? I wish, I wish my brother had said, Hey, I, I'm having a hard time and I, and I don't know what to do. And, and, you know, I, cause I saw him, I saw him every week. I brought my Xbox over to his house and sat with him next to him on the couch and he never told me his struggles. But it goes both ways, right? The other thing I wish I had done better is said, Hey, Zane, how are you doing? Can I help you? Do you is there, are you struggling with anything? He didn't reach out to me, I never asked. And so I, I do this topic every single episode. If you're struggling, go get help. By the way, I have to read this. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Suicide hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Please, I'm, I'm begging you, if you're having a hard time in life, tell somebody and uh, make sure that your friends in your life know that you care about them. My brother never shared his struggles with me and, and I've always felt like I, I could have done a better job asking. I thought he could have done a better job sharing his pain and and I really want to limit that. That's... If I can do anything with strong opinion sports, I would love to send a message to slow down and prevent suicide. I, I just That's a, a topic I'm, I'm very, very near and dear to my heart. Um, and in fact, look, I, I've been in dark places. There was a time in my life where after my brother died, I was reckless. And I, I would get in a car. I would drink a lot of booze. I would get in my car and I would drive around hoping something bad happened to me. I've been in a dark place. I get it. And, and I'm asking you, please, if you're struggling, go get help. Talk to people around you. Lean on the people around you. Seek out role models. Seek out people in your life. Call a professional. If you have no one else, call the suicide hotline. And then make sure that your friends know that you love them. You might not be having a hard time if you're listening to this, but maybe your friends are. So if you care about someone, if you love your friends, if you see them, next time you see them, next time you leave them, just let them know, hey, I love you a lot. And I'm here for you if you're having a hard time. I'm always here. The door is always open. That's something you can do even if you're doing great. Guys, my name is Zach Shomler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love Strong Opinion Sports with all my heart and soul. And I'm very grateful that you guys listen. So again, ba-dum-bum-bam, we are done. My name is Zach Shomler. This is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. And it is my favorite thing in the entire world. I love it. Uh, It is my dream to do this show. And it's my full-time job. And uh, if you want to help support me, there's a couple things you can do. Number one, help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Share this on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, I don't care. Screenshot it, put it on your Instagram story. Do me a giant favor, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. That's the number one way you can help me no matter what. Another way you can help me if you want, you can support me on Patreon or PayPal. It, it's a huge help to me. My PayPal is paypal.me forward slash Zach My Patreon account is patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. If you have no money to give, no problem. I totally understand. I'm a broke college kid myself. I get it. I've been there. Um, but please, I, I ask if, if you want to support me, the number one thing you can do to help me is tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast. My name is Zach Shomler. Thank you so much and have a great day.